Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you guys are having just a super awesome start to your week when you're listening to this episode. I cannot wait for this episode because I explain a little bit into the backstory of how I met Boo Cola, who is the person I'm interviewing in this episode, but it is basically a crazy story. You guys may have seen her if you watch CNBC series. They do one on millennial money, and they essentially break down how people spend their salaries, and I remember watching Boo Cola's videos and just thought she was so awesome, so smart, and she discusses a topic that I know absolutely nothing about, and that is software engineering and coding and all of those things. She has an awesome story about wanting to pursue becoming a doctor, but then switching to law, to switching to software engineering. She goes into spending her money. This girl really knows how to budget. She touches on investing and kind of building your personal wealth while also sharing more about getting into software engineering and just pivoting in your career. All the things. This is such a very useful episode. I think that if you're someone who's going into software engineering, if you're someone who wants to learn how to budget, if you're someone who's kind of learning about investing, I think that Bukula touches on these things in a very just thoughtful way and she's really great. So I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. I think it's definitely a good one and if you do feel free to leave me a review, feel free to share on your Instagram and I just wanted to note that because we are recording this virtually, obviously I'm not in person with my guests right now that I have on, there is a little bit of an audio issue or sometimes when our voices overlap there's a little bit of like a gargle noise. Please excuse that. I try to not interrupt her as much as possible or kind of like cut over her to avoid that but it makes the conversation a little bit more choppy that is because I was trying to avoid that so please excuse that it's just kind of a thing of the times right now and without further ado I'm just gonna go ahead and welcome Bukola onto the podcast uh yeah so hi everyone I'm Bukola I'm currently working as a software engineer in New York City uh yeah so that's just like a small background about like what I do yeah so she I actually we have a crazy story I explained this in a recent vlog that I did but I actually met Bukola in New York City just like in a random I think it was a little bakery wasn't it in Brooklyn exactly it was like such a crazy thing because I remember that day I was just having kind of like a bad day and it truly made my day that I got to meet you just because you said that you had know me from YouTube about a couple months ago I was watching the CNBC make it series which if you guys don't know it's a series where they have like this specific kind of video segment where they kind of explain how people budget their money, how they spend their money and their salaries. And I was thinking about it and I wanted to see if she would be on the podcast. And so I reached out to her, not really expecting to get a response because a lot of times that's how it works when you want people to be on your podcast because people are just so busy. And she actually responded and she was like, oh my gosh, Rochelle, I don't know if you remember, but I literally met you like a couple months ago in the city. And so it was just such a small world. Just to start, I want to ask two questions that I ask pretty much everyone who comes on the podcast. And the first one is, if you could go back to your 22-year-old self, what is one piece of advice that you would tell yourself that maybe you wouldn't have known back then? At 22, I'm 25 now, but at 22, I was definitely not as organized as I am now. I have so many pieces of advice I would tell myself, but I think the main one that I'm thinking of right now is just to be, to have more self-confidence and spend time, take care of myself and develop self-confidence and self-love. When you really love yourself and you really grow to love yourself, you just 
everything kind of falls into place because you expect more from the world. You expect more from others. You expect more from yourself. You're also willing to forgive yourself when you make mistakes. Just having a lot of self-love and self-confidence honestly is the one advice I would give myself. And especially for, we're going to go into her talking about like her industry and everything. I think that it would be so easy to feel intimidated and you obviously had kind of some career shifts with like wanting to go to law school, but then deciding to go a different route. I think that it could be so easy just to feel intimidated, but that sense of confidence is so important. And then the next one is, what is one skill that you think is important to have when starting your career that maybe no one talks about, maybe something that no one told you that was actually really helpful for you in your career? For that question, I think I have two things. The first thing would be to be like a self-learner. What I've realized in the jobs I've had is that very few companies will take the time to really train you you have to take the initiative to like learn on your own and, and be someone who's willing to be independent and take the time and the effort to learn what you can learn about your industry. So I think being a self-learner is the first skill I think you need when you're starting out in your career and no one really talks a lot about it. I'm trying to think of my, I had a, another one, but I just blanked out on it. Oh, I, I remember. Okay. So just being very flexible and open-minded because what you think that you're going to be doing when you leave college is going to be very different from what you actually do. So be open-minded and see and be willing to explore your different options and maybe even looking at other careers that you had previously thought you couldn't do. Another tip I would give. Yeah, that's so good. And kind of going off that, I wanted to go into our first little section of what we're talking about. And that's kind of your college experience, early career, deciding what you really wanted to do. And so I'd be interested to hear what you actually studied in college and what industry you thought you were going to go into versus where you're at now. So in college, I was just confused. I think like a lot of college students, when you enter college, you really don't have a lot of direction and you're kind of figuring it out as you go through. In college, the typical 18-year-old, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had a couple ideas. The one idea that was really big in my mind was being pre-med and possibly being a doctor because that was something my parents encouraged me to look into. So I definitely was considering being a doctor, but I was also kind of experimenting and taking other classes. I took computer science class. I also thought about being pre-law, but after doing more classes, I realized, you know, science is not my thing. So let me not continue to do something that I obviously know that I'm not really interested in. So then I decided, okay, let's try pre-law. That's like the next thing that could be a really good career. And I ended up graduating college with a political science degree with the hopes of becoming a lawyer. So I spent like post-grad, I was spending time studying for the LSAT and, you know, working in a, working at a job that was related to law. I realized, yeah, this is, this is also not for me. I just didn't like the culture at law firms, just getting to know other lawyers. They would always be like, yeah, don't, don't study law, get your MBA. Oh my goodness. <laughs> because, yeah, the industry is it's just really oversaturated and a lot of students carry so much debt. And if you're not doing big law, it's really hard to pay off the debt you accumulate in law school. So yeah, just hearing that, seeing what lawyers actually do day to day made me realize, okay, yeah, so <laughs> I obviously don't like this. Let me go ahead and look at my other options. So after deciding not to do law, I decided to look at other options and did more research and decided, okay, let me do software engineering. Let me learn more about what this industry is like, try to see if I would want to do it. Yeah, that's so interesting that even the lawyers at the firm were discouraging you from pursuing law. 
I honestly think with law, a lot of people, especially if you graduate school with liberal arts degree, think that it's probably the next thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like at least for a lot of the friends I had, you might not know exactly what career path to do, but you know that lawyers make a good amount of money. Their work looks kind of interesting. So you kind of assume, okay, let me, that should be the career path that I choose. So I think a lot of people go into law and not really understanding the, real, the reality of what it's like to be a lawyer. They kind of just do it because it seems like the thing to do if you're someone who's good at school and you want to be successful. I think that, yeah, law is just one of those fields that a lot of people might go into it not really knowing what it's actually like. And then when you decided that you wanted to kind of pivot into a new direction, what was the experience like when you decided to switch from pursuing law to, you know, finding your more so passion for software engineering, which is a lot of what Bucola talks about on her YouTube channel and in the video that I referenced from CNBC. And were you nervous to kind of make that shift of industries? Yeah, I mean, I was extremely nervous to make the switch once I decided that I feel this would be a good fit for me. I was nervous because I, there were a lot of reasons why I was nervous. I was nervous because I don't have a CS degree, even though I did take some computer science classes in school, I didn't have a CS degree. And and a lot of people in the industry do have CS degrees. So I was afraid that not having a CS degree would hurt me going forward. I was just afraid that I wouldn't get a job at all. While working at my job, I spent a couple months in the mornings kind of re-refreshing my programming skills that I'd gained in college. And when I felt, okay, I feel like I have pretty good programming skills. I can build full projects. Let me see like what the options that are available to me. And at that point, I could have either gone back to school. I could have gone, attended a coding bootcamp. I don't know if you are familiar with coding bootcamps, but it's just like a three-month educational program that you pay a lot of money for to bring you to the skills that you need to actually do software development in the industry. Those two options, going back to school, bootcamp, or just trying to self study and seeing could I get a job from just self-studying. With those three three options in mind, I decided to do more of the self-study route because I had a lot of programming skills and just wanted to, to do the cheapest option, honestly, because I didn't have the money. I didn't have $20,000 to do boot camp. I didn't want to spend what could be $40,000 plus to go back to get another bachelor's degree or to get a master's degree. So I said, okay, <laughs> The option is clear right now. Let's let's try self-study. If that doesn't work out, we can uh, <laughs> try to, we can go back to school or we'll do the other two options. Yeah, I found a program called the Recurse Center. It's a self-directed educational retreat based in New York City. That program is for people who already know how to program. You go into that program, you get to network with other people who are interested in software engineering and people who are actually software engineers too. You spend three months kind of building out projects that you're interested in. Then afterwards, they can help, they will help you if you want to get a job. So they connect you with other tech companies that might be looking for software engineers. So that's the path I decided to go to. And yeah, it was really nerve wracking. I was really nervous of failing, but I just... I was like, I think 23 at the time. And I was, I just knew if I failed, it wouldn't really be a big deal because I'm 23 years old. And it's so easy to feel like even at that age, like people are ahead of you or to feel like you're not yeah. on the path that you're meant to be on. And I think that's interesting because on this podcast, like all the people I've interviewed, they always say the same thing that, you know, you're so young and there's so much time ahead of you and you can really yeah. chart your path and like shift. And I think it's so interesting that you literally self-taught yourself because I was watching one of your videos and you mentioned, I think it was more of a career opportunity. It was something that they connected you with like different people who were hiring within that industry. Did you do something like that? Yeah, so they connect you with different companies. So there are a lot of companies that I guess, so let me just backtrack. If they feel like you are you could be a good match for the companies that they work with, they'll put your resume 
in the company's application portal, you have an option of being interviewed for that job. Mm. So I knew that, but I didn't know that you actually self-taught yourself going into some sort of like computer science job. Do you think that there's a certain personality type that attracts people to that job? Because I feel like for most people, that would be so hard to have the self-discipline to literally teach yourself everything. Are you just naturally more of like a self-disciplined person? Yeah, I think I do have a lot of discipline and I am very self-motivated. And also at that point, I also was running out of money. So that motivated me even more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have to do well. You kind of, it forces you to put in the work to get to, to where you need to get to. A lot of people think that there is a specific personality that thrives well in software engineering. And that personality, people always try to make it seem like it's someone who's introverted, who is antisocial. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's not always the case. I think a lot of different personalities can thrive in the tech field. I think you just the things you need to have are being like disciplined, being like persistent, being patient and being just willing to learn and willing to soak up as much knowledge as possible. And you have a lot of videos for people who are looking to get into computer science. So I don't want to get you to, I don't know, explain everything that you've already explained before. But if you yeah. could recommend maybe a few ways for people to kind of start learning about it if they were interested in going into that industry specific classes or programs yeah I definitely talk about this in a couple of videos on my channel if anyone is interested in, in checking those out but if you really think that you want to make the switch to this industry the first thing you want to do is do as much research as possible about the realities of joining this industry I think a lot of people are really taken with all of the perks that tech workers get the high salary the flexibility which are huge perks, but it's also good to look at the cons and maybe look at the things that you might not like, people don't really talk about that are negatives in the industry. Mm -hmm. So yeah, talk to as many software engineers as possible. If you don't have access to software engineers, look on YouTube. There's, There's a huge community of people who are talking about their experience and what their day looks like as an engineer. So just kind of look through those videos and do as much research as possible to figure out, could I could this be something that I would actually enjoy doing day to day? Once you do the research of seeing like, okay, is this something I actually would like to do day to day? The next thing you want to do is you want to actually start programming and gaining the skills. So I would recommend people taking like an introduction to computer science class and see, do you actually enjoy programming? Is it something you could see yourself doing? So then once you have taken your introduction to computer science class, you then at that point, you can take the time to think about, okay, should I do a bootcamp? I like programming. I've talked to a lot of software engineers and I like what they're working on. It seems like something interesting that I would like to do. Yeah. So then you look at your options. You can either do a boot camp, you can self-study, or you can, you know, go back and get a degree. So think about those three different options and try to figure out which one works best for your learning style and who you are. And I kind of wanted to talk about, because something interesting that you mentioned in, I can't remember which video it was, was that you did a lot of different interviews and you had some that you felt like you had failed in. And you mentioned how you just kind of have to like bounce back and not let it hurt you. How did you go about not feeling kind of the pain that comes with being rejected because I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with when they're going and doing all these different interviews and especially for an industry that's new for them how did you not let the rejection hurt you and instead kind of let it fuel you to have more motivation to keep going after it I just realized if you're going to take a big risk like you're going to have to be okay with accepting failure I was just excited that companies were even giving me the opportunity to interview so me failing at those interviews I was actually totally okay with (laughs) Because I was just happy to be getting interviews in general. And I knew I was competing with so many different types of people. I think I was just happy to get interviews that I didn't mind if I was failing. Yeah, I mean, obviously, as my money was running out, and as I was getting to the last 
the last points of how long I could do this, I, I did get discouraged getting rejections. You know, I think that's only normal. F- definitely feeling sad. I was wondering, should I even be in this industry? Is this like, am I actually good enough to do this? I was also accepting the fact that, yeah, if I'm taking such a huge risk, I'm going to get a lot of rejections and it's going to be pretty hard. I don't know if that makes any sense. Even though I was getting a lot of rejections, I was okay with it because I just knew I was taking a huge risk. And I knew that even if my money ran out and I didn't have, I didn't get a job offer, I could always do the other two options. I could either go to a boot camp or I could go get go get my degree. I was just happy that I found I found something that I actually really enjoyed doing and that companies were giving me a chance to interview. Yeah. And that's really interesting that you said that because I never hear people say whenever they maybe don't have the best interview experience, it's never like, oh, I just should be grateful that I even had the opportunity with these awesome companies. They kind of just focus yeah. on maybe it not going well. So that's really interesting that you said that. And then when you actually, you know, maybe got your first job in the software engineering field, what were some of the kind of realities of the job that you didn't expect beforehand that maybe someone who's going or thinking of going into that industry, maybe something that they should know beforehand that they wouldn't clearly know without asking someone? When I actually was working in the industry, every a lot of things were really new to me, not to get too technical, but uh, and just to think more high level, what was kind of difficult was when I was self-learning, I was working mostly with my own code, not having to work with other people's code. I think that was pretty, that was a huge learning curve. There are a lot of things that you are so different from when you're self-studying and when you're learning in school versus actually being a software engineer in general, but I was lucky that my company was willing to give me the support that I needed, you know, to gain the skills to do the job well. I asked a lot of questions. I was willing to deal with being embarrassed and like looking stupid (laughs) just to get the information that I needed (laughs) to do my job. And do you think that they appreciate, I'm sure they did appreciate that you actually asked questions. So I feel like a lot of times people think that they're going to come off a certain way or they're going to come off as incompetent if they ask. But did you find it was a good experience when you actually asked them for things that you maybe otherwise would just pretend that you knew and then like screwed up? Like, did they think you were weird or were they just um, like gracious going about doing that? Yeah, no, they like I worked like for a really good company. Everyone was willing to answer my questions no matter how simple they were or like point me to the right places because I think everyone understood that they've already dedicated a lot of effort into getting me here. They should try to support me as much as possible so that I can do my job well. But yeah, my company, they they were pretty fine with answering any questions I had, pointing me to the correct resources that I needed. And then this section is kind of the one that I wanted to focus on because I think it was the one that the video that CNBC posted, it was mostly about this topic, which is finances. And you kind of briefly touched on, you know, trying to get a job while also money being tight. And in this video, you talk about the importance of budgeting and just kind of having financial peace with yourself. And one thing that you mentioned was the importance of a six to 12 month emergency fund. And I wanted to learn how you kind of had the discipline to develop that emergency fund. And if someone, you know, maybe doesn't have that, what are some tips to go about starting that? I love personal finance. So that's one thing. I guess I'm thinking about how did I go about learning about saving, Mm -hmm. saving money, right? I mean, I'm lucky that I grew up with family that was pretty frugal. We're like immigrants from Nigeria. So my parents were really good with managing their money and understanding how to stretch their dollars. So having that foundation was good. But even when I graduated from college, I still wasn't someone who was very good with saving. I was living paycheck to paycheck and not saving any money when I was at my first job. And it wasn't until I really needed to leave my job that I realized, okay, saving money is actually really important because when you end up in a situation, let's say a situation where you're, you want to leave your job or you're actually 
fired, (laughs) then you realize, oh, yeah, like I need to be able to have money set aside to protect myself when situations like this happen. We're in a really interesting time right now with coronavirus and a lot of people, you know, getting laid off from their jobs. A lot of people understand now having money set aside is extremely important and is a necessary part of having good personal finance. Yeah, so it's just, I feel really bad too with the whole coronavirus situation. I think it caught, like, obviously caught a lot of people off guard. And yeah, and like, I also don't want to blame anyone who didn't have any savings. The majority of Americans are not making a lot of money to set money aside. I know in New York City, a lot of entry level people might only be making 30,000, you know, to $40,000. So it is really hard to set money aside. So I don't want to sound like I'm blaming anyone for not saving money, but I think this entire situation has taught us that when push comes to shove, the government, even though they're doing a good job with unemployment, especially as specifically in New York City, doing a good job supplementing unemployment. But when push comes to shove, you need to take care of yourself because at least the way the U.S. government is structured, they really won't do a good job taking care of you. They won't give you money long term to take care of you. Your job doesn't owe you anything, like fire you at any point in time. So you have to be there for yourself. You need to have your own emergency fund. You need to have a ways of being yourself if you get fired from your job or if the unimaginable happens. And you said in the video, you said a quote about what isn't monitored isn't managed. And that really stuck with me because I never really thought about it in that way, where especially with forming a budget, it's really important to monitor like every single part of of your finances and where every single dollar is going. And so obviously a big part of saving is having, you know, that budget in place. Are there any tools that maybe you had starting out that helped you create a budget? Is there like an app or a plan or were you more the kind who just like put it in Excel and did it that way? How would you recommend yeah. someone to kind of go about starting budgeting. Okay, so with monitoring your finances, I think it's so important to do because it's really easy to not know what your money is doing or where your money is going. It's very easy to spend money and then all of a sudden by the end of the month you're like, "Oh, wow, all my money is gone" without realizing where your money has been distributed. By monitoring your money, it allows you to be mindful about where your money is going. Also allows you at the beginning of the month to intentionally decide where you're going to put your dollars and how your dollars are going to work, you know, in your life. Monitoring your money or measuring your money is extremely important and just sort of keeping track of like where your money is going is really important. It's the most essential way to reach your goals. But yeah, so the way I budget, I love budgeting. I I monitor my finances using YNAB and personal capital. I'm a huge fan of YNAB. I've been using it for like three years now and it's honestly the best app ever. It just helps you spot trends in your spending. So with an Excel spreadsheet, I feel like unless you have the ability to whatever like calculations on your Excel spreadsheet, it's hard to spot trends in your spending. So YNAB, I think the big selling point of YNAB is the fact that it's really good at spotting trends. It lets you understand when you're participating in lifestyle inflation that doesn't serve you. If you're spending your money on things that you that don't actually bring you joy and don't add value to your life, YNAB is really good at like spotting that and letting you know, okay, in the winter, you spend way too much money on takeout Ubers, you know? So I think I love the fact that YNAB lets you see all of your financial data across a, lo- a long period of time. So you can spot trends and you can see where your money is going and if you're on track. So I'm a huge fan of YNAB. I use it a lot. I'm also a big fan of personal capital too. I invest a lot, so it's important to have a bird's eye view of my financial picture. So YNAB does a really good job of that. It gives you your net worth at first glance, a good way to see your net worth with your brokerage accounts. It also lets you see how your accounts are performing against, I guess, the different indices. So I think that's really helpful too if you're someone who like invests 
a lot of your money. So yeah, those are the two things I recommend, YNAV and personal capital. And I feel like a lot of people, at least on YouTube, I don't hear a lot about people's like investment strategies or anything. And something that I've heard, because yeah. I touch on this a lot in my videos, but a lot of people question like, is it okay to invest right now, given like how volatile the market is? What is your take on that? Like as someone who invests, like what's your mindset on like dips in the market? Is this like a great yeah. time to be like buying stocks because they're on sale? Obviously not giving people actual like tangible investment tips, but like what's your mindset on that? Yeah. So like I'm a huge fan of investing. I think it's something if you are able to do it, you should definitely look into doing it. Probably been one of the biggest wealth creators for a lot of people. My investing strategy, I am one of the most conservative, conservative investing people who invest don't like to take a lot of risk, even though investing in the stock market is risky. So my investing strategy is just investing in low cost index funds that I hold over a long period of time. So when the market dips like it did a couple months ago, I was totally okay with it. Or not not like okay with it, but it wasn't didn't affect me because I'm I'm not someone who is selling stock every every day. I'm not day trading and I'm not selling stock like even every month. I'm kind of buying and I'm holding. So I'm in the I'm in the market. I'm planning to be in the market for a long time. With the volatility we've experienced recently, it doesn't really affect my strategy. I'm still committed to investing in low-cost index funds every single month, regardless of how the market is doing, because I really don't think that you can time the market. When the S&P 500, a lot of companies went down, I think March 15th or something, or New York and California were experiencing formally committing to doing stay-at-home orders. Everyone was like sure that the markets were going to go down, and they did go down, but then the Fed had a lot of different policies that encourage people to continue to participate in the stock market. I'm not sure if I'm making any sense, but yeah, everyone expected the market to go down, but it didn't go down because of things that no one could have predicted. No one could have predicted all of the policies of the Fed, federal government would implement. So it actually went up during a time where a lot of people were losing money and or a lot of people were like losing their jobs. So it's just one of those things where you really can't predict the stock, how the stock market is going to perform. Because I know that I can't predict how the stock market is going to perform, but I do know it's going to go up. It's always going to go up over the long term. As long as the US is still doing well, we're always going to, it's always going to go up. Decide to just invest in low-cost index funds and not to time the market, but instead to just invest every single month in low-cost index funds. Sorry, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, I was rambling a little bit, but I'm a huge fan of index funds. <laughs> yeah. Did you have anyone who you kind of like looked up to on like their investment strategy or their like perspective on investments? Yeah, my parents, immigrant Nigerian parents, they didn't really know a lot about investing or no one really taught me anything about investing. It was one of those things I sort of learned as I got more interested in personal finance. And then when I when I really understood that it was important, I will always do it now that I understand that. So there wasn't anyone growing up that I looked up to to about investing. I've just found like mentor virtual mentors by listening to different podcasts and just reading different forums. Yeah. But there's no one specifically that I, I look up to when I'm thinking about investing. But I do think it's really important. And it's something that everyone should just do a little bit of research on to see if they feel comfortable doing it. And I think the last kind of finance topic I wanted to touch on, you mentioned in this video how a portion of like your monthly budget goes towards giving. And I think something that I just especially don't hear among millennials, like the importance of kind of giving back in the form of your money. Was there, I know you touched on the fact that your parents kind of taught you the importance of that. Were they kind of the reason why that was instilled in you? And kind of what does it mean to you? Why do you think it's important to give? 
all those things. I think it's so important to give if you're someone who's blessed to, you know, to be in the U.S. and you have a lot of opportunities and you have disposable income or you have any disposable income, you're just lucky and you have an obligation, you know, to help the people around you to give back to the community because you've you're benefiting from a lot of people giving to you, if that makes any sense. My parents are very devout Christians, so they believe in tithing 10% of their salary. So they've always done that. Even though they did that, it wasn't something that I really was committed to doing. But the more I've grown older and even living in New York City, there's such a huge wealth gap. There's such a, there are a lot of people who don't have anything. I feel obligated. And the part that I can do is just giving back. I just feel like I'm so lucky. I grew up with parents who were really good to me, who supported me, had opportunities. The least I can do is just give back and help people out. I feel like I'm doing the best that I can do with giving. And I think that's, that, that for me, it's just important to do it. Yeah. And I think that being in New York City, you are just kind of so much more aware of that wealth gap and aware of people who literally have nothing. And at least for me, when I moved to New York City, I felt like it was a big realization that, oh, wait, there are a lot of people who do not have any of the same opportunities that I have. And it really does instill the importance of that. And so I totally agree. And I just wanted you to touch on it because I think that especially among millennials, there's like this mindset of just being scrappy and only really kind of looking after yourself. And I just thought it was so cool. You mentioned that in a video that is viewed by like a million people. It's like, this is so important. And so I was really glad that you touched on that. And then lastly, talk about living in New York City, because that is where you are right now. Um, And you've talked a lot about spending in New York City. You've done some videos on like how much it costs to live in the city. But I wanted to ask if you think it's worth it to live in New York City, given how expensive it is, given, you know, just the natural way that it has a tendency to kind of tempt you to spend all your money. Do you think that it's worth it to live there? given how expensive it is. Yeah, no, I went to school in New York City and I've been in New York City for like over eight years. But yeah, New York City is, it's not for everyone. But for me, it's definitely worth it because you have access to some of the best jobs and you have access to so many opportunities that you don't usually have access to in other places. I live in New Jersey, but the area in New Jersey I live in is pretty rural, really close to PA. We don't have jobs there, really. We don't have the jobs and the opportunities that you can get in New York City. New York City just has so many opportunities if you're interested in finance, fashion, tech, technology, there's so many opportunities in New York City. So it makes sense for me to live here, even though it's pretty expensive. And I do my best, even though it's expensive to live in New York City, I do my best to like cut my expenses and to be intentional with my money. And I'm really used to just living the New York City lifestyle. I'm, I'm used to living in a small apartment, doing the regular New York City things that a lot of people in different areas might think is like inconvenient taking the subway and I'm pretty used to it so for me living in New York City is 100% worth it and I really love New York City and just living living in the city yeah and you talked about your apartment and living in a tight space and your apartment's actually so cute I was watching one of your videos on it and I wanted to ask how did you go about finding your apartment in the city I just did an episode on like moving to New York and my process what was your process like actually moving and finding an apartment because I know that that's always really crazy with the demand in the city. And I mean, I guess now it's not technically as intense, I bet, to get an apartment there. Doing the apartment hunt in New York City is aggressive. And I usually am hunting in the summer just because of how my leases have worked. And that's one of the worst times to look for an apartment. Everyone's looking to. There was a period when I was looking for this apartment where there was a nice apartment I saw in Soho that was posted, was up for only one hour on Street Easy. And the person who was like showing the apartment sent a date or put an open house 
whatever to, to view the apartment. And when I got there, I got there on time. There were already 30 people standing outside of the apartment ready to see it. <laughs> Getting an apartment in New York City is very competitive and it's pretty aggressive. I guess my, my tips for apartment hunting in New York City and making it very smooth a smooth process is to make sure you have all of your documents before you even look. So making sure you have your tax returns, your pay stubs. If you need a guarantor, having all of their financial information too, your application ready even before you start the process. Because when you view an apartment, more than likely you're going to have to make a decision on the spot. So just making sure that you're prepared when you're looking for an apartment. And for finding the apartment that I had, it was a huge process. A lot of the places we saw were taken in a day just because everyone was looking at that time. We we eventually found our place and we decided to commit. And yeah, we got it, which was nice. And we love the apartment. It's really nice. And the management has been pretty good to us, which is not something that happens a lot in New York City. <laughs> it was my first time living in Brooklyn too. So I went to school at Columbia and that's uptown. So I've spent most of my time living uptown. It's my first time like living downtown, I guess, or like, yeah, living in Brooklyn. And I love love it so much. Yeah, it's definitely, I lived in Brooklyn Heights for a little bit and it was like my favorite yeah. place to live. It was awesome. It's so beautiful. Brooklyn Heights is so beautiful. <laughs> I know. And super expensive though. Definitely not the most affordable neighborhood. Yeah, that. <laughs> and then my last question is just more of a personal one, but do you see yourself staying in the city long term? Do you think you'll move eventually, just like future plans? I'm not sure. I've actually been looking into maybe when my lease ends at this current apartment, maybe looking at moving into a cheaper area, looking at Jersey City, leaving the city, but moving close to the city. But I'm also open to like other cities, Los Angeles, maybe even moving abroad. So I, I really don't know where I'll be. Yeah, I love New York City, but you know, I've been here for eight years. <laughs> I feel like I understand what it's like to live in New York City and I'm interested in trying new cities out. Yeah, I guess I'm, it's it's all up in the air. We don't know. Yeah, that's nice about being in your 20s. You can just pick up and move somewhere new, you know? Exactly. Um, I saw, are you in are, are you in Texas right now? I am in Texas. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't know if you're in Austin or I've heard a lot of good things about Austin, Texas too, so... Yeah, so I'm near Dallas. My parents live in a suburb outside of Dallas, but Austin is so fun. Yeah, no, I've heard so many good things about it. I think there's so many cool cities all around the, the country and even out, outside of the U.S. But that is everything that I wanted to share with everyone today. I'm going to have all of Bukola's information down below, her YouTube channel, and then her app she referenced as well if you guys want to check it out, if you want to start budgeting. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode and thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. So I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was definitely a fun one to record. If you guys have any other people that maybe you know on YouTube you think are really interesting and kind of have a different outlook on life, post-grad life, living in their 20s, feel free to shoot me a DM on Instagram. It's at Michelle Reed, as I said earlier in this intro. I am always looking for new people to interview and just new people to talk to and to hear their story. And I would love to get some feedback from you guys, what kinds of people you would like to have on the podcast. I personally love learning about people who have skills in an area that I do not have. And software engineering and coding is one of those things. And the other day I was literally sitting after listening to this podcast and editing it with Bucola. And I just thought, you know what? I really want to learn how to code. I feel like it would be a really just useful thing to kind of work my brain in a way it hasn't been worked in a very long time since college. So I hope that kind of inspired you as well to maybe kind of gain some new insights, some new tips into something that you maybe haven't pursued before. Let me know if you guys enjoyed it. I will see you guys next week, next Monday for a new episode. Bye friends.